The gift of tongues has a public usage and a private usage, with different rules to govern both. And what are those rules? You'll find out today on the Cross References Podcast. Cross-references podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a new Christian or a veteran Bible reader, our goal is that God's Word will make more sense to you after every episode. This is Luke Taylor. I'm a minister and one of those crazy tongue talkers, but you've probably never heard me speak in tongues on this podcast because that would not be appropriate for me to do. There's a private use of the gift of tongues, And there's a public use of the gift of tongues. But speaking on a podcast like this, that's not an appropriate place whatsoever to use the gift of tongues. And that's what I want to talk about today is what are the proper places to use tongues? What is the proper use of that gift, especially in a public setting? So on last Monday's episode, I talked about the private use of the gift. But I also want to talk about the public one today. We hear about that in 1 Corinthians 12. And it, the, the chapter basically, the section begins at verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. So it's saying different people have different spiritual gifts. And then it's going to go through a list of them in this chapter. Notice in verse 7, it says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Okay, the common good. So this is talking about when we assemble as a church congregation, it's talking about the public uses of gifts. Okay, the common good. Or as another translation puts it, it's for the profit of all. Our gifts are to benefit others. Continuing on at verse 8, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So what we see in Scripture is that there's a public and a private use of the gift of tongues. 1 Corinthians 12 is talking about the public use. And one of the key markers of the public use of tongues is that it's going to be followed by an interpretation, okay? Because remember, we know this is public because it's talking about using them in church, where it's to the profit of all, okay? And one of the markers of using tongues in that public setting, is that it's followed by interpretation. The interpretation is an edifying word that's spoken to the church. It's coming from the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, the word for interpretation is a Greek word, hermeneia. That means to explain what, it's, what is said. It's a supernatural gift. It's prophetic. It's not something you can just learn. You can't take a class on how to interpret tongues. Um, it's something that's granted to you by God supernaturally. That is how the spiritual gift of interpretation works. And so in a public setting, if you have tongues given publicly, you're supposed to have an interpretation given publicly. And again, it's an edifying word. If you remember last week, we talked about the private use of tongues, and that was for self-edification. But in the public setting, it's for the edification of all. Okay, so it's an edifying word spoken to the church congregation. Now, perhaps you've been in a church where this has happened before. Maybe like me, you grew up around it. So you're not really freaked out by it, you know, or if you're new to it, if you came to a church like that later in life, 
it was probably, you know, a little freaky the first few times that it happened. You might have thought it was kind of weird. Um, here's what happens in case you're not familiar. But t- during the worship service, you know, typically during the praise part, praising the music part, a-, a person might begin praying very loudly in tongues. Okay, very loudly and vocally. Usually the worship kind of dies down during this moment. And the person will speak in tongues for 30 seconds or so. And then the church will just wait. They'll wait in a quiet expectation, um, usually less than a minute, but they'll wait for a few moments and then somebody will give an interpretation. And so the interpretation is a prophetic word. It's given by the power of the Holy Spirit. It might come from the same person who is speaking in tongues. It might come from somebody, from a totally different person. So I've been in church services where it happened both. I've been in church services where it happened on Sunday mornings, where it's happened on Sunday nights, where it's happened on Wednesday nights. Been it's during a prayer service. One time it even happened during a business meeting. Um, I can't remember if it was the beginning or end, but we were having a powerful time of prayer during the business meeting. And then at towards the end of the prayer meeting, somebody gave started speaking in tongues and then someone else gave an interpretation. It was a powerful move of God. <laughs> you know, it's kind of weird that it happened in a business meeting, but you know, we'll take it. <laughs> so I believe it can happen anywhere because the church is not limited to this building with four walls. It's not, a, it doesn't need four walls and a roof. The church is you and me. And so anywhere where there's a gathering of believers, um, this gift is, there's a potential for this gift to happen. That is the public use of the gift of tongues. Now there's also the private use, and we often refer to that as a prayer language. And the Bible talks about that too in 1 Corinthians 14. In fact, that chapter is really good for helping us regulate when to use our gifts of tongues in a public way and when it should just be a private prayer language. And so we're going to open back up to that chapter today. That is going to guide us as we talk about how to properly and orderly use this gift of tongues. So the structure for the lesson today, it's going to be based on the number seven. I'm going to give you seven principles for the gift of tongues. And this is going to build on the previous episode. You don't have to have listened to the previous episode to understand this one. In fact, I'm going to recap the important stuff from last time as we go forward this time. Um, And normally I'm an ESV kind of guy. I'm going to do new King James Version today. There's really no particular reason, except (laughs) the last time I taught on this, I used new King James and I kind of copy-pasted some of my old notes from a previous lesson. Um, so I didn't want to go back through and change all the verses out. <laughs> so it's New King James today. So we're going to start at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 14 with verse 1. It says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. So here's the first thing that I want to make a note on. The first principle today to remember about tongues is that tongues are an unintelligible language that only God knows, okay? And I say this because there's there's an idea out there that some people say the gift of tongues was something that is, is only ever earthly languages whenever it's used. That was the case on the day of Pentecost where the, the people were speaking in tongues, but it was people who were present from all around the world, and they were hearing the gospel preached in their own language. That did happen at the day of Pentecost, but the general, and that still can happen today. I mean, someone that, that can supernaturally happen today. I've heard lots of stories of that. But 
in general, the, and what it's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 14, the gift of tongues is something that's not an earthly language. It's a heavenly or a spiritual language. Did you notice there that it said no one understands whenever a person speaks in tongues? Okay, it says they don't speak to men, but to, but to God. They speak mysteries. Okay, so this is not something that in general is not going to be something that a person is going to understand from anywhere in the world. Uh, it's like what 1 Corinthians 13 says, it's the tongues of angels. Um, just this week on Twitter, I was seeing one of the Theo bros on Twitter. They were complaining, when is someone going to explain to Pentecostals that tongues are earthly languages? And I'm just thinking, well, 1 Corinthians 14, it says tongues are not to men. So they're not earthly languages. And I totally believe that there's lots of stories I've heard of somebody speaking in a tongue that somebody did understand them. Um, so I definitely believe it could happen. Uh, but again, that's not what 1 Corinthians 14 is talking about. It's talking about the general use as a private, personal prayer language, okay? Verse 3, it says, But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So principle number two today, praying in tongues edifies yourself. So whenever we're praying in tongues, we are building ourselves up in the Spirit. We, we don't even know exactly what we're praying. And I, I talked about this a lot last time. But we just know we're, we're praying for ourselves. We can trust that we're praying some pretty good things because it's the Holy Spirit inside of us that's praying. We might be praying for our safety. We might be praying for—we for, um, might be sending demonic influences away. We, we might be absorbing more of God's Spirit. We might be becoming more sensitive to God's Spirit, to being led by God. You know, we, that's what it means, though, to edify yourself. Uh, I, I have no idea what I'm praying whenever I'm praying in tongues. Um, I'm going to say something, and this could get me in trouble with some Christians, you know, especially some Pentecostal Christians. Sometimes we, we pray for somebody, and everybody goes up and lays hands on them, you know, and we pray for someone to be healed or whatever. And a lot of times, at least in churches I've been to where they're more Pentecostal or charismatic in nature, and many times in my church experience— People will start praying in tongues. You know, you go up and lay hands on someone and pray for their healing or pray for a situation they're going through, and people start praying in tongues. Now, I'm not saying it's a sin to do that, so don't get, don't hear me wrong, okay? But just based on a scriptural understanding, I'm not sure what you're doing that's any good for that person if you just go up and pray for them in tongues. You know, someone's having knee problems. You go lay hands on their knee and start praying in tongues. Scripturally speaking, not saying that's a sin— but I'm not sure if it's actually accomplishing anything, okay? Um, I'm not sure that it's profitable for anything. And the reason is that Scripture says that whenever we pray in tongues, we are edifying ourselves, okay? So based on what I know, I'm not—again, I don't want to say it's wrong. I'm not hating on you if you do that. But I'm just not sure that it's actually accomplishing anything to someone else's benefit if we go lay hands on them and start praying in tongues, We'll talk about this more in a few minutes, but unless you're giving an interpretation with those tongues, the person doesn't know what you're saying. And as far as we know, you're just praying for yourself. So whenever we pray for other people, I think we should pray in a language that they understand. All right. If you're listening to me right now, most likely that's going to mean praying for them in American English. Okay. And that brings me to principle number three. Let me read some verses here first. Verse six. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues... What shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching, even things without life, 
whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. So principle number three, and I kind of already said it, when praying for others, pray in their language. If you're ever praying for another person, and if you're in their vicinity, you should pray in a way that they can understand. If they don't speak English, but if you can speak their language, pray in their own language. If I can speak Spanish and English, and I go up to a Mexican person to pray for them, I should pray for them in Spanish if they don't understand English, because God wants them to know what we're praying for them. And so if when you go up to pray for another person, we probably shouldn't just go up and pray in tongues for them, okay? If you're going to come up and pray for me, please pray for me in English. It's the only language I know, okay? So I'm sorry, I'm not that cultured. You better have to stick to my language so that I can understand what is being prayed. And and God just makes it clear. He wants people to know what is being prayed for over them. So if you go up and lay hands on someone and pray in tongues, again, not saying you're hurting anything. I just don't know that you're helping anything. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 16, it says, Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. So in other words, you're saying good things, but they're not helping the other person. So if I'm praying in tongues, just to recap here, who is being edified by that? As far as I know, it's just me. So some people are going to look at these restrictions by Paul in 1 Corinthians 14. Some Christians look at this, they say, oh man, well, we just need to stop praying in tongues whatsoever. Like we just, as I mentioned last time or on last week's program, I even had a Christian tell me one time that it's selfish to pray in tongues because whenever you do that, you're only praying for yourself. But remember this, there is nothing wrong with praying for yourself. <laughs> I mean, that's if I'm praying, that's the number one person I always remember to pray for. <laughs> I remember to pray for me. So whenever people try to use that as a reason to to get out of praying entire or to get out of praying in tongues, to get rid of tongues entirely, um, when they do that, I think they're just throwing out the baby with the bathwater, you know, to use that expression. Um, they, th- that's going way overboard, going way beyond what Paul was saying here when he laid down all these rules or restrictions. Uh, there's this one very well-known pastor, and he's an, he's anti-spiritual gifts. He's cessationist, okay? Um, and he did a, did a whole conference like 10 years ago. I think it was 2013. Did a big conference out in California where he just talked about why the spiritual gifts are do not apply anymore. And in, the, in this modern age, they have all ceased. So he's called a cessationist. He did a whole conference about this thing. And I'm like, well, then how does he preach 1 Corinthians 14? If he thinks tongues are not in operation anymore today, what does he do whenever he comes to this chapter? So I went and looked at what he preaches on 1 Corinthians 14. And I mean, unless someone edited it out of the recording, I I can't, I just can't believe he did this. But he goes through 1 Corinthians 14, totally misinterprets, I guess. I mean, I would say misinterprets the whole chapter to say that Paul is against tongues and he doesn't want people speaking in tongues anymore. So he twists everything in 1 Corinthians 14 to make it as if Paul is just trying to shut down tongues. Okay. And then when he gets to verse 18, 
He just skips right over verse 18, doesn't even address it, okay? Unless somebody just took it right out of the recording where I was listening to this sermon, I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, why did he not even talk about verse 18? Because verse 18 blows his argument out of the water. It says, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. That's what Paul says. I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. So (laughs) trying to say that Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 is anti-tongues, how do you explain verse 18? Well, this pastor just had to pretend it, it wasn't there. But verse 18 proves that tongues are a good thing and it's good to pray for yourself, okay? Speaking in tongues is not wrong or else Paul was wrong. It's just about using it correctly, okay? Using tongues in the right context. So if you're in a public context, it's not appropriate to just start praying in tongues unless there's an interpretation given given as well. Verse 19 says, Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Okay? So he's, he's saying it's more beneficial to a gathering of people if I just pray in, in a language everybody understands rather than spending all day preaching in something that they don't understand, just getting up there and rattling off through, through tongues, but not ever giving an interpretation, not ever explaining to people what, what is being said. It's not that tongues are bad, but you're not doing anything good. So when I pray in tongues, who does it benefit? It benefits me. When I pray for someone else, how should I pray? I should pray in English or I should pray in their language, which if it's not English, I can't, I can still pray for you, but I don't, you know, you're not going to know what I'm saying because it's the only language I know. But when you pray for someone, pray in a way that they will understand it. So I emphasize this today for a couple of reasons. One, because I think Pentecostal churches get this wrong a lot of the time. As I said, growing up about all of the Pentecostal churches I've ever been in, it is totally commonplace that people go up and lay hands on other people and just start praying for them in tongues. I, I just think they get this wrong a lot. So that's why I'm talking about this so much. And then two, also because Paul is spending a bunch of time on it. He spends a lot of this chapter making that point. And so if I'm just kind of working my way through this chapter, you know, if it sounds like I'm belaboring the point here, that's because Paul was belaboring the point. Let's read some more verses. Verse 26. How is it then, brethren, Whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. You know, I I, want, I just want to say, it, it says, let all things be done for edification. That's the end of that verse. But there, I've been visiting a church lately where they, during worship, I mean, they follow this verse to a T. They have a microphone set up right in the middle of the room. And that's what it's for. If someone has something they want to come up, now they don't just do this during the sermon, but during worship time, if somebody wants to come up and just speak an, an encouraging word to the church, uh, read a psalm or something like that, they can just come up and do that. So it's it's kind of cool. Uh, I've never seen any other churches that that do it, but the, but this is just what the New Testament model is, is giving to us. Um, so verse 27, it says, If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. So principle number four, there should be no more than three messages and interpretations that are given in tongues in a service, okay? Uh, that's the limit that scripture puts on it. it. says two at the most three. So three is the limit. Now, I personally, I don't think I've ever been in a church service that had more than two. 
Uh, usually it's just once if it happens at all, but it's usually just once. I've, occasionally it's happened twice. Now, listen, if I were running a church service um, and we got to three tongues and interpretations, then I would probably address the people after the third one. And I'd say, hey, well, thank you for those three. You know, we appreciate those words and scripture tells us to stop there. So, you know, if you feel led to give another one, we just ask you to refrain until the next service. But the scripture puts a limit of three on there. And so that's where I, I think we should stop. Again, it's I've never been in a church service where it happened more than twice. So this hasn't really come up for me. Um, principle number five that we kind of take from all this, though, too. Public tongues should always be accompanied with an interpretation. Okay? That's the rule here. Um, as we were talking about earlier from 1 Corinthians 12, it said that to one person is given the gift of tongues, to another is given the gift of interpretation. Some people have both. They'll have the, the tongues and be able to give their own interpretation. Uh, I've heard it happen that way. I've heard it happen where someone else in the room gives an interpretation. And that's, you know, that's that's how the gifts operate. That's how they work. Now, I will address one thing. What if somebody speaks in tongues and there is no interpretation given? You know, so has, have you ever been in a church service where that happened before? I would say that happened one time. And this is the thing I was, I've always been like most stressed about with the gift of tongues is that, you know, you have someone speak in tongues and the congregation kind of settles down for a moment and lets that moment happen. But then nobody seems to have an interpretation. That's always been kind of like something I'm like, okay, God, I just got to trust that, you know, it's going to all work out. (laughs) And so there was one time and I was actually running the church that service that day. Um, I was a youth pastor, but our senior pastor was out. So I was I was kind of leading the church service, and um, we were going through praise and worship. I think we had just finished praise and worship, and someone gave a message in tongues. And so we kind of waited, and nobody seemed to have anything to say in response. So, um, and, you know, we just kind of waited for a little bit. Now here, so then I just kind of came up, and I was like, "Well, hey, let's sing that last line of the of the song again." We had just sang like "Amazing Grace," <laughs> so we just started singing "Amazing Grace," and uh, anyway. It was just kind of an awkward moment, right? Like you're just kind of like, okay, well, we had tongues, but no interpretation was given. And and here's what probably happened when I was up on stage. You know, if you're if you're up on stage in a service, time just seems to move so much slower whenever you're up on stage. So I mean, if you have like 15 seconds of silence, it feels like 20 minutes whenever you're up on stage. You know, it's like a, every second that goes by is like a million years. And so probably I did not wait long enough to move on to to to, to let, let somebody give the interpretation. So anyway, we just kind of moved on with the with the service and I should have probably just addressed it. I was kind of I was pretty young in the ministry back then and so I, I should have just addressed it. But um so what ended up happening uh after the service got out that day, somebody came up to me after the service and she said, "Hey, I I just want you to know I did have an interpretation, you know, during that moment of the after someone gave the tongues and she said she had never had an interpretation before whenever some, someone is doing tongues and interpretation. She had never had there been the one with the interpretation before. So she was a little bit nervous to speak out. And uh, anyway, I can totally understand that. I've never had the interpretation, so I would probably be nervous too. But um, anyway, uh, I probably should have just waited and been more patient and given them more time. I, I, I probably tried to wait 30 seconds or a minute, but I, I might have just cut it off too short. So anyway, um, Hey, you, you, you live and learn. You don't always get it right the first time. And, and I think it's good if you're, if you're trying to operate 
in the the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit, you got to be patient with people. You got to you got to give people time to learn how it all works. And so anyway, this lady said if she would if she'd ever next time she was given the inter- interpretation, she'd just be ready to go. But she was just not ready this time because it it never happened before. So I can totally understand that. Um, spiritual gifts do need to be practiced to be perfected. It's it's kind of like playing an instrument. You know, there's a learning curve until you get comfortable with them. When you're trying to prophesy, when you're trying to hear what God is saying, we've all had this problem before, right? Where we're like, I don't know if God's saying this or if I'm just thinking this from my own mind. You know, we've all had that happen. And so um, you just, you got to kind of practice at it a little bit and, and just be careful until you get, <laughs> until you get good at it. You know, don't jump up here and say, thus saith the Lord, and you could be way off. So be careful with it. It is a, it's a serious thing. Um, but we got to also be patient with each other and let people grow and learn how to use these gifts. So, but it's really important that if someone speaks in tongues, that you wait for an interpretation because, and there's a few reasons for this one, imagine a non-Christian came in and they just had no idea what was going on. Okay. And then, you know, they say, well, I don't know what happened at that church. Like somebody spoke in gibberish for a minute and then they all kind of stayed quiet for a minute. And then they just moved on like nothing happened. You know, they, they're going to think you're some kind of bizarre cult if you do that. So you don't want to have a bad witness. Um, you do want to make sure you wait for the interpretation. I remember that that when that story happened, um, the lady who spoke in tongues that day, she didn't come back for a few weeks afterward. And I I don't know why she didn't come back for a few weeks, but I'm like, I hope she wasn't embarrassed and think that it was her fault or something like that. Um, but anyway, we should, we if we're in public, we, we want to be waiting on the spirit for an interpretation. So now maybe you're wondering something else. You know, I said earlier that whenever you have like, if potentially if you were to have three tongues and interpretation given in one service, then you're supposed to stop there. Okay. Well, you might say, Luke, why would you try to stop the Holy Spirit? Why would you say no to the Holy Spirit and try to stop? What if the Holy Spirit wanted to keep on talking? Okay. Well, look at verse 32 of this chapter. This is good to remember for all spiritual gifts. It says, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So principle number six, just taking it right from that verse, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Okay. So that means we can stop when we want to stop. When the Holy Spirit is using us, he's not just taking control of our bodies. Okay. You still have self-control whenever you're using the Holy Spirit's gifts. And I think we'll talk more about that later, but I'm just saying we're not going to like lose control and become a robot or something that the Holy Spirit is just programming. It doesn't work that way. He's not, he so the Holy Spirit is not taking control of you like a puppet and he's not going to direct you to use his gifts in a manner that's not in harmony with how scripture says to use them. Okay. So there, the Holy Spirit gives you the gifts you know, potentially you could do a fourth tongues and interpretation or a fifth tongues and interpretation, but God's not going to tell you to do that because he said we need to stop at three. So God gives you the gift. There is a danger of abusing the gifts of the, of the spirit, even by just overusing them. Okay. And this chapter is explaining where our limits are. I remember when I was in my ministry classes, there was a pastor, um, his name is Graydon Norton, and he was telling a story of when he was a youth pastor and he had to fill in for his senior pastor and somebody gave an interpretation of tongues 
And he said he listened to it and he didn't say what was wrong with it, but he said that was not scriptural. It doesn't line up with the Bible, what this person was saying. So he got up in front of the church and he says, that was not a biblical word from the Lord and we do not accept it. <laughs> so he got up and said that. And, uh, and he said the man who had given that interpretation was a deacon in the church, but he had, you know, if he had messed up or what, you know, I don't, I don't know. Cause I don't know what he said, but anyway, when someone gives an interpretation, um, if it is really from God, it is going to line up with the Bible. If it's not in harmony with the Bible, you can reject it. It's not from God. Okay. And so if the Bible says not to have more than three tongues and in interpretations in a service, um, he's not desiring that you do a fourth one then. You can't just say, oh, well, the Spirit wanted it. No, the Spirit doesn't want it because the Spirit wants things done in an orderly way. And he he has told us here in 1 Corinthians what the order is. All right. One more principle that I want to give you today about the gift of tongues, and it comes from verse 5. I know we already read verse 5. Or, uh, we were way past it, but let's go back to it for a minute because this is where I want to end our discussion again today. It says, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So our seventh and final principle for today in governing our use of spiritual gifts is this. The gift of tongues is for everybody, but so is the gift of prophesying. Seek both. Okay? I, I'm emphasizing this, and I'm, we're doing three lessons on tongues this month, and I'm emphasizing this in every single one, that tongues are for everybody. They're not a gift that's just for some Christians, okay? And I know that the gift of tongues must be for everybody, because if Paul wishes that everyone would speak in tongues, then that means tongues is for everyone, or Paul thinks that the Holy Spirit is just not doing his job. <laughs> now, which one do you think it is? Well, I, I would say it's probably that tongues is for everyone because I don't think Paul was running down the Holy Spirit's job and saying, well, I think he, everyone should get tongues, but the Holy Spirit won't give them to you. No, I believe Paul is saying when he says, I wish you all spoke in tongues. I don't think he's talking about um, it's a pie in the sky dream. This is something that's actually attainable in the church that we could all speak with tongues. And, I, and next week's lesson is really going to be about how to receive the gift of tongues. So come back next week for that one. But um, anyway, the gift of tongues is for everybody. Principle 7 also says, so is the gift of prophesying, because that's also what it says in verse 5. So we should all seek to prophesy. Just because you have the gift of tongues, that's great, but that's just the starting place, okay? When you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, that's the baseline thing. But now let's grow in our gifts. We want part of being baptized in the Spirit, being immersed in the Spirit— being filled with the Spirit, is that we're going to be more connected to God than ever. So you want to prophesy. That means to hear a word from the Lord. And we should all seek to do that according to this verse. I'm not saying just because you hear something from God, you need to jump up on a podium and say, thus saith the Lord. No, that's not 90, 90, 99% of the time when you hear from God, it's for you. It's not something you're just supposed to go share with everybody, but it's great if you can. Okay. So I don't, I don't personally, I don't need to just hear from God so I can jump up here on a, on a microphone and say, hey, God told me this or that. You know, that's not what I'm here to do. But I do care about knowing if God is wanting to say something to me. And I care about knowing if God wants me to say something to you. So that's what it means when it says, seek to prophesy, 
try to hear from God. Um, at least try, you know, you can't control if you're going to hear, you can't control, there's some things you can control, but, but you, you know, you can't force God to talk to you, but you want to be open and ready to receive what God is saying when he does talk to you, because he is trying to get our attention with something, you know, regularly. So I can remember one time at a youth camp a few years back, uh, this was several years back, but God would just like lay something on my heart as we were praying for kids in the altar. He'd just lay something on my heart to pray for them. And I would, you know, a kid would walk up to me and I would just start praying for them. And I'd start just saying stuff about their specific situation in life. I had no idea before they walked up to me, but I would just start praying and the words would just start coming. So um, that's, and that's prophesying right there. That's what it means is like, you're just going to receive information from God. And we were just using it in an altar call time to pray for people. That's one of the ways that we build ourselves up. The spiritual gifts have a purpose. It's not just for self-edification, it's also for others' edification. It's for the common good. It's for the profit of all. And uh, and so anyway, that's been seven principles there that should guide our use of the gift of tongues. If you appreciate today's Bible study, you could show your appreciation by, um, first and foremost, just say a prayer that more people would find it. Uh, You can share it yourself if you want to, but I would mainly just really appreciate a prayer. Um, Or if you want to leave a like or a positive review, wherever it is that you're listening, uh, I appreciate that as well. Um, But I'm also just grateful for prayers. If you have a question on anything I've talked about, if you have a challenge for me, I'll take it. My email is crossreferencespodcast at gmail.com. And so um, send me questions, recommendations on what you want me to talk about down the road. I'll take all that stuff. Next Monday, I want to cover two different things, where the gift of tongues comes from, and also to answer some questions or objections that some cessationists are going to have about tongues. And so I did hear from one guy, uh, his name's Mike, and Mike sent me a, uh, a sermon like it was like an article. It was all typed out, but it was also a sermon. And I listened to the sermon and I read most of it too. I'd really tried to engage with this material, Mike, like, but it was over an hour long. Okay. And I listened and this. So in this guy's message, he gave seven points for like why, why spiritual gifts had ceased, why they were no longer in operation in the church today. And so I listened to it. I didn't think that any of the seven points were very compelling, And so I told Mike, I was like, well, hey, listen, I listened to the whole thing because I really do seek to understand the cessationist point of view. I really do want to interact with people I disagree with and like learn. I really do want to understand where they're coming from, because as I read the New Testament, I just don't see it. And I listened to that whole sermon, like I said, and I just I didn't find any of his points compelling. But I said to Mike, I was like, which one did you find the most convincing I said, I just want to hear, instead of me like typing up seven responses to this guy's seven reasons, I said, I just want to know like, what did you think was the strongest point that he made? And so I asked Mike and and Mike was just like, hey, thanks. And so I was like, okay, but Mike, do you have an answer to my question? Like, what, what was the strongest point that he made? So anyway, here, I think what was going on, Mike hadn't even listened to the sermon or read the material himself. And so he just sent, he Googled something and sent it to me. And, uh, and I'm sorry, Mike, but I, I just did not, I would, I didn't find it convincing. So I need, I need someone to tell me, um, let me see, what was the name of the message? Um, it, it was by a 
pastor or theologian or something named Tom Pennington, and it was called like a case for cessationism. And so anyway, um, guys, I've listened to that one. If you think it's a good argument, just tell me like what, pick a point. What do you think is the strongest point from that? Or if you, if you don't know what that is, send me, send me your own argument and I will try to respond to it on here. Cause I, for this month, at least this is something I would really like to, uh, to, I just feel led to try to dialogue about this, try to put some information out there. So, so anyway, <laughs> please don't send me another hour long sermon unless you like, unless you verify that you are actually going to talk to me about it afterwards. Okay. <laughs> and I'll try to listen to it if I can, because I really do want to have better understanding on this issue. Okay. Um, some people would point, uh, just kind of to close up today. Some people would point to first Corinthians 12, where it says that there are a variety of gifts. So some are going to say, well, doesn't this mean that not everybody has the gift of tongues? Okay. In fact, there's something like that in first Corinthians 12, where it says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have the gifts of healings, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the best gifts. So that's rhetorical right there. But the answer to all those questions is obviously no. Not everybody has the same gifts. Not everybody's a prophet. So some people are going to say, well, see, it says not everybody should speak in tongues. So I would give two responses to that. Okay, because I earlier I said tongues are for everybody. And just to defend that a little bit further, um, what is what do we do with this verse in first Corinthians 12? Well, two responses to that. One, it's kind of just a statement of fact. Okay, even if Paul wants all Christians to pray in tongues, it is a statement of fact that not all Christians do pray in tongues. Um, But two, I think more directly to what Paul is talking about right here, if we got to look at the context of what it's talking about in 1 Corinthians 12 as a whole. And in this chapter, it's talking about a public usage of tongues, followed by, in public, an interpretation. So this is talking about the public gifts of tongues and interpretation. And it's not an obligation of all Christians to participate in tongues and interpretation in a public setting. I've spoken in tongues for a long time. I've never given a message in tongues or interpreted someone else's. Not all Christians are called to do it. And this is why last time I was saying that some of the passages on tongues can seem kind of contradictory. Okay, I said that last week. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says not all Christians speak in tongues. But then you get to 1 Corinthians 14, and it says, I wish all Christians spoke in tongues. So is that contradictory right there? Well, again, you just got to look at the context. 12 was about public tongues and interpretation. 14 is more focused on the private use of the gift, okay? And it's regulating that. So I believe tongues is for everybody, just not everybody is called to use it in a public way, all right? And it, you can have the gift of tongues. It doesn't mean you, as I said, it doesn't mean that you lose control and just become the Holy Spirit's puppet. You still have self-control during those times. Uh, on Monday nights for quite a while, I've been attending a prayer gathering. It's an interdenominational prayer gathering. Christians from all kinds of different backgrounds get together. And they, they gather to pray for our nation, for our communities, for our families. We pray for all kinds of things, and we take turns leading the prayer. And um, I, don't know, I don't speak every week, but if I ever, you know, whenever I do, I would never get up there in front of all those different Christians and just start praying in tongues. Okay, for one thing, that would just kind of turn people away. It wouldn't be appropriate. It would bring confusion, and it wouldn't edify anybody. So it would just not be an appropriate setting to, to hop up and, and just start praying in tongues in front of everybody. 
Now, if I was in a room full of Pentecostal Christians and everyone's okay with tongues, and if I then felt moved to deliver a prayer in tongues, I might do it with the expectation that someone else would give an interpretation. Um, if that wasn't expected to happen, I wouldn't be like loudly, vocally praying in tongues there. I might do it kind of quietly to myself. I wouldn't just do it to every to everyone. I, I'm not there to just try to force tongues and confusion or uneasiness, any feelings like that on anybody, okay? Our gifts of tongues and interpretation and prophecy, any spiritual gift, they're supposed to be governed by love. I, I believe that's why 1 Corinthians 13, that's the chapter on love, right? And and that's that's right there in between the two chapters that speak the most about spiritual gifts, chapters 12 and 14 of 1 Corinthians. So, some Christians just want to throw out chapters 12 and 14 today. They say that tongues has passed away, so 12 and 14 don't apply anymore after the first century. And I'd say, well, that's isn't that weird that 12, they say, is temporary and 14 is temporary, but 13 right in the middle, oh, that one totally applies. We read it at all the weddings. That we, we have pictures of it all over our walls. It's like, but then we get to chapter 14, it's all outdated again. No. Uh, I think it's all still for today. Tongues are for today. And let's not forget what else it says in these chapters. Earnestly desire the best gifts. Okay? So if we're going to follow the New Testament, we need to obey these commands of Scripture. And that's my challenge to everybody listening today. Whether you pray in tongues or not, but, but to earnestly desire the best gifts. This has been Luke Taylor. Join me next week, and I'll teach you how to do that on the Cross References Podcast. Oh, 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 oh